if you have your Bibles, the Bible app or the church app, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10 is our text. Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 10. If you're there, say amen. Uh, we, we are now in part four of this stewardship series. It's all his. Say it's all his. Uh, because it is, right? It's all his. It all belongs to God. Everything belongs to him. He owns everything. Uh, he is the master, and we are the managers. He is the uh, owner, and we are the stewards. And, and by now, friends, we should know the definition of stewardship. And if you don't know it, it's on the screen on your outline as well. But the definition of stewardship is the practice, come on, say it together, the practice of managing properly all that God has entrusted to me. Let's say it one more time with more enthusiasm. Here we go. The practice of managing properly all that God has entrusted to me. And the key verse in this series is 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Write that down. You might remember this, right? And it says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust, say trust, must prove faithful. Say faithful. Now remember the word trust there in 1 Corinthians 4, 2. What it does, it encompasses all of the resources, abilities, and opportunities given to us by God. And that we, we manage those responsibilities and, and opportunities and abilities in a way that is spiritually wise and profitable. Well, so far in this series, we have focused on our treasures. Say treasures. Understanding the importance of giving, right, and, and tithing, uh, being good stewards of our finances. And then last Sunday, our focus was on our time, say, say time, how we have a tremendous responsibility. In fact, it is a spiritual responsibility, how we use and how we manage our time, how we manage the most precious commodity that God has given us. Today, our focus is going to be on our talents, say talents, serving using our gifts and abilities and our talents to strengthen the body of Christ and to advance his kingdom. The title of my message today is doing what I was saved to do. Everyone say that. Now, now my goal in this message is to encourage those of you who are serving. And by the way, friends, I want to thank you for serving. You have no idea how blesses my heart. Above all, how blesses the heart of God. So my goal is to encourage those of you who are serving and to inspire and motivate, friends, those of you who are not serving to start serving, to, to make your lives count, to do something far bigger and far greater than yourselves. Now the sad truth is in the church, 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. And so this means that 80% of the, of the people who attend church don't get involved in any form of service. Kevin Harney wrote this, said, Picture a church in which everyone wants to be served. Each person believes a church exists to meet their needs, to make them happy, and to cater to their whims and tastes. Imagine a congregation in which everyone has a take-care-of-me attitude and is quick to complain whenever things are not just the way they feel they should be. Sadly, some people don't have to use their imagination to picture such a church. He goes on to say, this kind of church will never have a positive impact on the world. It will grow small, inward, and unhealthy. This kind of church does not honor Jesus and brings glory to God. This is not a church ruled by a servant spirit. 
He goes on to say, now imagine a church in which every single person has a passion to serve others. Think about what God could do through a group of people who are committed to sacrificial ministry to each other. These people know that the Holy Spirit has given each of them unique abilities, spiritual gifts, that are to be used for building up people and bringing glory to God. So they are purposeful about discovering their gifts and developing and using them. What could God do? What could God do through such a church? He goes on to say we are either on the stretcher or helping carrying it. There are times we need to be served, but most of the time we are called to serve others. The bottom line is that God wants each of us to help carry people through their times of need. The church was never meant to be a bunch of people watching as a few exhausted workers strain to carry the burdens of a whole congregation. He goes on to say, a church filled with people who serve will change the world. Before we get into our text today, I want to show you four wrong reasons, wrong reasons for serving. The first one is this, guilt. Say that. And, and, and new Christians fall into this category, and they, they, they think they need to make up for past wrongs, and they have not grasped the reality and the beauty of God's grace. And if that's you, don't serve because you feel guilty. Serve because, listen now, serve because you're grateful. Another reason is this, family tradition. Write that down, family tradition. You know, grandpa and grandma served, uh, mom and dad served, you know. So I'm going to serve to keep the family tradition alive. And, you know, that's, that's, that's nice and all, friends. But if that's the reason why you're serving, you'll eventually endure it instead of enjoying it. You will soon, sooner or later, begin to grumble and complain. Another reason, wrong reason for serving is to pay my dues. To pay my dues. You know, here, here's my time and, you know, and my talents. I do my share and I put my time in. I, I paid my dues. Well, if that's you, that's wrong because you're serving out of duty instead of desire. And the fourth reason for, wrong reason for serving is to win God's approval to win God's approval. And you would be amazed how many Christians, friends, serve God for approval, serve God for acceptance. And the reason is why? Because they grew up having to perform in order to get the approval of a parent, of a school teacher, or perhaps of a boss. And listen, to serve to win God's approval is a works theology. You know, if you're safe, say amen. Listen, you can do nothing, nothing to increase or decrease God's approval or acceptance of you. And as believers, we are free. Say, I'm free. Because we are, right? I'm free. We're free, friends. And we express our freedom. Got to get this. We express our freedom through loving service. Because the motive is love. Say love. Not guilt. Not family tradition. Not paying my dues, friends. And not to get God's approval. Write this down. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And Paul writes, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Say free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve, this is what he says, serve one another in love. In love. So love children by teaching them God's word. Love people, listen now, who are new to the community. Love struggling teenagers by showing them through God's word that their life does have purpose. Love the less fortunate. Love single parents. Serve out of love. Say that. Serve out of love. Because serving out of love is others-focused, not self-focused. 
Now, today's message will be much shorter than usual to give you enough time to go in the lobby today after service and to sign up to begin to serve, to begin to give your life away, begin to do something bigger and far greater than yourself, to do something to strengthen the body here at CCF and advance the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to notice the flow, the flow of this chapter, Ephesians 2, and let's look at verses 1 through 3. And Paul writes, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Did you get that? You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying, listen now, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So verses 1 through 3 tells us what we were. We were without hope, right? Say without hope. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. So we were without hope. What we were. Now look at verses 4 through 7 with me. Because of his great love. Circle love. Say love. Come on, come on. Say love. Talk to me. Say love. Circle love. For us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Say alive. Circle alive. Circle that word of alive there in your Bible. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. I love this. I love this. It is by grace you've been saved. Can I get an amen? Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ. Circle that. Say raised us up with Christ. Come on, raise us up with Christ. Circle that. Circle love, circle life, circle raise us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, in order that in the company ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed, listen now, in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Say love. Say alive. Say raise us, raise us up with Christ. That tells us what we are. We are loved, we are liberated, we are loved, we are liberated, and we are lifted. Got it? Now notice how he did it. How he did it. Look at the text, verses 8 through 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from what? Yourselves. It is what? Come on. It is what? The gift of God. Verse 9. Not by works so that no one can what? Can boast. So it's through grace, right? That's what it says. It's through grace. So in other words, it's his doing. It's his doing, which tells us that we can't brag about it or take credit for it. It's a gift. It's grace. And I love what Spurgeon said. He says, I could wish that every time the, the clock struck, it said, by grace you have been saved. Grace. Say grace. That's, that's God's gift. When a person works, they receive what? Wages, right? When a person competes against another person and wins, they receive a prize. When a person gets recognition for accomplishments, they get what? An award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, friends, or getting a prize or deserves no award, yet receives a gift anyways, guess what? That's grace. That's a picture of God's unmerited favor. Grace means salvation completely apart from any merit 
merit or works on our part. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. How amazing is grace? It's amazing, right? Now, if you're saved, say amen. So it's not what we have done, but what Jesus did on the cross for you and die. We can, listen, we can add nothing to it, and we dare to take, let's now take anything from it. You see, anything we do as believers, as Christians, anything we do is in response, response to what God has first done for us. So, so God saved us by grace, right? Right? So what now? We're saved by grace, praise God. Okay, so what now? We were saved by, by God, okay, by grace, by God, for what? For a life of service. Get this. We were saved to serve. Got it? So, so if you're not engaging in service, then it very well could mean that you're self-centered. God, listen up, God doesn't save you to live for yourself. And listen, we must work, serve in, in coordination and also in cooperation with other members of the body of Christ. I want you to write this down, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13. And Paul writes, the body is a unit, though it is made of many parts, say many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form, say one body. Form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Say one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Okay? One body. We're one body. Say one body. We're one body, friends. Okay? Uh, to serve, to work in coordination and also in cooperation with the members of the body of Christ. In other words, I'm here for you. You're here for me. We're here to serve each other. Can I get an amen? So what I want to do right now is I want to share with you three points in the last verse of our text. Okay, three points in the last verse of our text. If you're ready, say yes. Here we go. Number one is this design. Say that. Design. Write that down. Look at verse 10a with me. And Paul writes, for we are God's workmanship. Say, say workmanship. Okay. In the Greek, the word workmanship is poema. It means something made. It means a work of art. It has the idea of a product. Literally, literally a fabric. That's what workmanship means in the Greek. Poema. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, God, got to get this. God saved us, but he's still shaping us. Got it? He saved us, but he's still shaping us. And whatever God starts, I love this, whatever God starts, God finishes. Now I want you to write this down, Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6. Love this. Being confident of this, that he, say he, that's God, who began a good work in you, say in me, will carry it on to completion, say completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. I want to go back to that. Go back to that. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he, say he, who's that? That's God, right? Who began a good work. That's God. Listen, that's God, right? So God is in charge of the work. It's his work, right? So being confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work, God's in charge of the work in you. Say in me. In other words, you're the object of his work. How amazing is that? 
will carry it on to completion. Say completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus, what God starts, God finishes. God started this good work in you at the moment that you got saved. And he promises what he started, he will finish. I mean, what does Hebrews 12, 2 tell us? It tells us what? That he is the author and the finisher of our what? Faith. Listen, church, listen, church. You're a work of art. Got it? You, you got to believe that, right? You're a work of art that God is in, I love this, that God is in the process of designing. And what he's doing, he's making you more like his son, Jesus Christ. And we know this right in Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be, listen now, conformed to the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, listen, God is the skillful artist at work in my life and also at work in your life. He's in the process of designing you. He's in the process of designing me. We are the, listen, we are products of his personal attention and handiwork. He's working in and through us to accomplish his great purpose. I love what Ray Stedman said. He said, we are his masterpiece. God is working out in our lives a tremendous exhibition and demonstration of his wisdom, his power, his love, his life, his character, his peace, and his joy. He's teaching us, training us, bringing us along, applying the paint, love that, the paint, in exactly the right places, producing a marvelous masterpiece to be put on display. Listen, a sculptor can take a worthless piece of clay and make a beautiful statue with it, right? Right? A potter can take that same clay and make a useful vase of it. A painter, listen now, can take a blank piece of canvas worth $3 and add strokes of paint to make a picture worth $3,000. A builder can take some wood and make a house with it. But God takes a life that was lost, a life that was diseased by sin, and turns that life into a saint, turns that life into a masterpiece. Write this down, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Most of you might know this by heart. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say in Christ, he or she is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has what? Come. Spurgeon said this, hearts of stone he can take away. And give hearts of flesh. He can take the infidel and create in him a mighty faith. The harlot and make her a pattern of purity. The lowest of the low and the vilest of the vile. And put them among the princes, even the princes of his people. If you're saved, say amen. You're his design. You got to get that. You're his design. You're his masterpiece. Are you guys with me? Okay. So the next time the devil comes to you and starts throwing lies at you like you're no good, and guess what? You have no purpose in life. You say, I'm sorry, but I am God's design. I'm God's masterpiece. You got to let the devil know that you belong to the Lord and that you're his design, God's design, and God's masterpiece. Yeah? Say design. Number two is desire. Write that down. Say desire. Desire. Look at verse 10b, second part of verse 10. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Say, say good works. 
So he saved you and is shaping you for what? Well, not to sit, but to serve. And I want to tell you, friends, God doesn't provide salvation and then place us on a shelf simply to wait to go to heaven. doesn't do that. He has created us by his grace in order, listen now, to serve him through our good works. Now I want to say this. We're not saved by works, but we work because we're saved. Got it? Works are the fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation. Works, listen now, are the result of salvation, not the cause of salvation. So, so follow me. God has worked in you, in you, that's salvation, that's grace. And now his purpose is to work through you, that service, good works. Say, say in me. Come on, say in me. That's salvation, that's grace. Okay, okay. Say through me. Okay, that service, good works. Good works. Now I got to say this, grace and, and works are not contrary to one another. They are compatible within the lives of believers. I'll get this. Those who are saved by grace, if you're saved by grace, say, say amen. Those who are saved by grace will, will get, get this now, will reveal their relationship with Jesus through their works. Look at the text again, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Okay, so, so if you're created in Christ Jesus, if you're saved, if you're saved, if you're a new creation, if you're saved, got to get this now, then God, what he does, he has put in you the desire to serve. Not to sit, not to spoil, not to sour, but to serve. In fact, in Matthew uh, 20, 28, Jesus said this. This is Jesus saying, your attitude must be like my own, he says, for I did not come to be served, but to serve. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Listen, since you're created to be conformed to the image of Christ, you should increasingly demonstrate, friends, a lifestyle of a genuine servant. should. You should be getting your hands and your feet and your lives dirty for the kingdom of God. Get this. The call to salvation and the call to service are identical. Say identical. Okay. If you're saved, I want to remind you, if you're saved, okay, I want to remind you, at the moment you got saved, you were commissioned to serve, to service. Now write this down, 1 Peter 4.10. 1 Peter 4.10. And Peter writes, each one should use whatever gift. Say gift. He has received, she has received to serve others. We all have a gift, right? To what? Serve others. And if there is no desire in you to serve, if, you're, if you, you say that you're saved, heaven bound, born again, and if there's no desire in you to serve, then you really need to ask yourself, am I truly saved? He designed you and gave you desire to serve. And listen, because we're saved, because we're saved, service, say service, should become the bent of our lives every single day in every situation. At work, serve God there. At work, right? Serve God there. Okay, with the family, serve God there. At church, serve God there. You are saved to do good works. You are saved to serve. You are saved to give your life away. You are saved to bless and help others. That's why you were saved. Serving God and serving others should not just be a part of your life. It should be a way of life for you.
There should be a desire, a desire in you to want to serve. I want, I can't help but want to serve if you're saved. Say design, say desire. Number three is decree. Write that down, say that. Decree, write that down. Look at verse 10c. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. The King James renders it like this. Which God hath before ordained that, here's the decree, that we should walk in them. It makes it clear that God expects his people to walk in good works. To do it. Do something about your giftedness. Follow me. Once you understand that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to serve, then you are to walk in them. He has planned out your life. Walk in those plans. Walk in his will. Friends, God has a purpose for you. Did you know that? He has a purpose for you, a great purpose for you, which includes serving to advance his kingdom. So find out what it is and walk in it. Walk in it. Write this down, Jeremiah 1.5. This is such a beautiful verse. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139, verse 14a and 16. I praise you because I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How amazing is that? You see, you are made on purpose for a purpose. He saved you. Listen now, you were saved to serve. At the moment God created you, friends, listen now, made you what he did. He deposited into your life wonderful gifts and abilities so you can use that for the kingdom of God. Giftedness. God has gifted every one of you for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Now, now how, how do you know if it's your gift? Well, first of all, you enjoy doing it. You have a passion for it. Okay? Second is this, you're good at it. You're good at it. And third, people will affirm, or fourth, people will affirm and confirm it in your life. Got it? Now, if you don't enjoy it, okay, if you're not good at it, if people don't confirm and affirm in your life, guess what? It's not your gift. It's not your gift. And I see people in churches, okay, operating in a place where they have no business operating in. It's not their giftedness. Find what your gift is and operate in that gift. Amen? There are doors placed in front of us, friends. And God places those doors in front of us and we have a choice to walk through them or not. And if God placed those doors before us, then he expects us to walk through those doors. God puts those doors in front of us. It is our, my responsibility, your responsibility to walk through it. Now, if you're saved, say amen. amen. Good works, serving is your business. It's your business. And this is why you have been created in Christ Jesus to serve. And the door is in front of you. Listen, the door is in front of you, and the opportunity, what it does, it awaits you, as the scripture says, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. Walk in them. Will you walk in them? Or will you ignore them? Huh? 
This past year, 2019, nine people stepped away, stepped down from children's ministry. And we need committed people to pour their lives into this ministry. All ministries are important, but the two most vital ones are children and youth. My wife is the director of the children's ministry, so I, I'm there hugging her and trying to console her and, and trying to encourage her when, when people just walk out. Now, if you, some of you here, you have such a wonderful gift with children. And if you do, use it for the kingdom of God. Now, if you don't like kids, you ain't got no business serving in children's ministry. Amen? Find your giftedness. Find your giftedness. Let me ask you something, okay? And I want you to be real. I want you to be honest. How many times do you see a need in the church? You see a need in the church, and you keep walking because you don't, you don't want to get involved. And you know what? You say to yourself, I just don't have the time to serve. Time to serve. If you're not serving as your pastor, I'm asking you to sacrifice six and a half hours a month, not a, not, not, not a week, a month, to serve here at Crowd Christian Fellowship. Six and a half hours a month, not a week, a month to serve here at Cry Out Christian Fellowship. Six and a half hours top. Some, for some ministries, it's less time. And then you say, well, I just don't have the time, okay? Six and a half hours a month? That's all. I'm asking as your pastor to sacrifice to serve in this church. And yet, yet, we will sit and watch a movie that go, what, goes on for three and a half hours. It is said that the average person watches from five hours to four minutes of TV each day. Concerts. We go to concerts. And we'll, we'll go hear our favorite bands, right, and sit for three and a half hours. That's not including finding parking and standing in line to get into the concert. Disneyland. Amusement parks. We will stand in line for an hour and a half, right, to get on a ride, and at the end of the ride, you're throwing up. Yeah? How about football games? Some of you watched the football game yesterday. Three to four hours to watch a football game. How about the iPhone? It is said that on the average, people spend five and a half hours, five and a half hours a day, a day on their iPhone. How about shopping? Here we go. Shopping, yeah. On the average, men spend 39 minutes, just 39 minutes, <laughs> each time they shop, whereas women spend one hour and 43 minutes. My wife spends way more than that, Okay. And that's not including getting to and from the store, which is 41 minutes. Haircut. If you're going to get your hair cut and colored, it's from two to three hours. Depends on how much hair you have. Yeah? Working out, 45 minutes to two hours. Is it much to ask to sacrifice six and a half hours a month to serve here at Cry Out to advance the kingdom of God. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to close here because I want to give you time to go out to the lobby and find some place to serve. So if you're already serving, this, this message should totally, totally encourage you. Totally encourage you. And if you're not serving, this message will either bring guilt or conviction. 
And I hope it's the latter because they're different. Guilt is just feeling bad about something. That's guilt. Conviction is a course of action that one takes to put things right that they have gone wrong. That have gone wrong. Guilt is passive. Conviction is, is active, friends, and opens up the door for resolution. Guilt, listen now, doesn't lead to change. Conviction does. It brings you to a place of transformation. So two main applications here real quick here before I let you go. Make sure that you're saved. Make sure that you're saved, that you're a new creation in Christ. And if not, then you'll have the opportunity at the end of this service to give your life to Jesus and begin to live an amazing life in him and serve him. The second application is this. If you are saved, this is how God has saved you for a life of good works. If you're not engaging in these works, listen now, if you're not engaging in these works, you need to confess your self-centered lifestyle to God and seek him for how he wants you to serve him. Because God doesn't save anyone so that they can just live for themselves. What he does, he wants everyone who has tasted, say tasted, his grace to engage in a life of good works. You see, the focus of our life of your life, of my life, of our life, should be, Lord, what will you have me do? Because I want to do what I was saved to do. Let's all stand.